This sermon is from Edgewood Baptist Church. You can find more information about us online at ebc-edmonds.org. Thanks for listening. So often on the first Sunday of the month, we'll have baptisms, communion, and interviews. Today we were going to have an interview with Billy Crompton, and we will be so excited to have him coming. His first day will be September 15th. He'll be helping us, uh, coming on as the interim associate pastor for about nine months here and helping us. We're excited about that. Amen. And if you're new... That may be information that you may not understand all the details of that. We'd love to talk to you more about what's going on in the church here. But as I was thinking about what to do this morning, I wanted to go back and revisit why I got into ministry in the first place. Why did I become a pastor? What was that road like? And I thought back to being asked that question when I was driving for a medical transportation unit going to seminary. Somebody asked me, why are you going into what they call full-time ministry? Because in a sense, we're all in full-time ministry. And I told them, because I have looked into a casket and seen a dead body, It's a weird entry to the question, isn't it? Now now here, a lot of times in the memorial services, the body isn't present. But in the services that I'd went to, the body was. There'd be a viewing and you'd look into the casket and there you would see a body. And I said, and when I looked into that casket, I knew, I knew innately that something more had left than merely a pulse and some brain waves. That there was more to life than just this this life. More than just the physical. There are answers, and we've been going through this series of have you considered? Well, I'm asking this morning, have you considered what happens when you die? Have you thought about that? There are answers out there that people propose for us, The atheist would say, when you die, you just return to the dirt. There's nothing more to you. You're just a physical body. You've evolved from nothing, and you're heading to nothing. I believe that that is an incorrect answer. We talked about a lot of reasons that I believe that that, and is an incorrect answer, and why Christians over the years have thought that's an incorrect answer. We talked about this is a design to the universe. We talked about that if there's an effect, there, there must have been a cause. We talk about morality, that, that life doesn't make sense unless you have morals. And as we look around, sometimes it's very clear that justice isn't served just in this life. Does that make sense? Sometimes evil people get away with things, and sometimes innocent people 
innocent in the sense of not deserving of the punishment they, re they re receive from others, they get. In other words, they get injustice. So as, as Kant said, that pushes us to the idea that there must be a moral judge who must be all-knowing and all-powerful. I believe that we know that we're meant for something more than we experience just in this life. Now, there's others who, who would say, you know, what really happens when you, when you die is this just a long series of reincarnations until ultimately you realize Atman is Brahman, otherwise, the, other, in other words, excuse me, the universal soul is the individual soul. The individual soul is the universal soul. I remember I was in world religion class and someone was telling me about uh, this approach to life and basically they were saying, you know, last night I had a dream. Somebody came after my daughter, my young daughter, and I woke my wife and we ran to get our daughter and we were being chased by this person with a knife and then boom, I woke up. And that's what, that's what life's really like. And when I woke up, I realized that I, that I was my daughter and I was my wife and I was myself and I was the person chasing me with the knife and I was the knife. And that was their answer. Everything just bleeds into one. Is that reassuring to you? To basically say when you look in the casket and you see grandma, grandma someday is just gonna, we're all gonna become one Hitler grandma, everyone. So, so when I look in the casket, I began to believe that there was something more than just this life. And that death wasn't natural, there was something wrong that must have caused death. And I looked in Scripture, and Scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So I told them, I, I began to see that the most reasonable, rational answer to the problem of death is Christianity. More specifically, Christ. <laughs> now, I don't expect everybody just here to go, wow, I agree with that. But I do expect us to explore what happens after we die? And my prayer is the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that Christianity is true and that there is life after death in Christ. Right? Now, my brother used to serve on search and rescue in the Mount Bachelor area. We, my family lived at the time in Bend, Oregon area. And he told me one time that he went on a search. And what had happened is these young people were on a hike in the summer, and they got way up in the mountains where the snow still was. And they thought it would be really cool to make a makeshift sled. And they got on the sled, and they began to ride down that snowy pass, but they had never thought about where that snow ended. And it dropped off in a 50-foot kind of cliff, 
and they all slotted to their death. Now, now over the years, people say, well, that's, that's morbid. But, but here's what I took away from that. Before you choose the path that you're going to be on, you ought to think about where it ends. Right? You should do more than just think about the fun we're having right now. You should think, where is this leading me to? Where is it going? What will be the outcome? Now, I've asked Caleb to bring up a file that came out of my office. And he was afraid stuff would fall out, so he put a rubber band around it. Do you know what these are? This is my funeral memorial service file. A collection of folders like these from memorial and funeral services I've done, notes from the messages, and letters from the families. And so when somebody says to me, hey, hey, it's Labor Day, let's keep it light. You talked about joy last week. Well, I want to say to you, these aren't just academic questions, what happens after you die. You see, in here, you'll find services that we did for a child that was only two days old when they died. You'll see five-year-olds, teenagers, the oldest in this file, 102. Some knew that death was most likely coming. Like Denny, one of the elders of our church, who when told he had cancer and didn't have long to live, said, help me live through these dying days in ways that bring glory to God and point people to Christ. Right? There are other folks in here that had no idea that death was coming. And I, and I say this, I had to go over the sermon many times because as I was looking through this file, I began to weep because we do weep as Christians at death, do we not? It's sad. It's sad to meet with parents when, when their daughter's been killed in a car accident. It's sad to be called on to go to the high school and meet for hours with young people whose classmate is no longer around. And when I think about that, I think about what the scripture says about being sorrowful yet rejoicing. I think about the scripture says about we grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope. And I think about the path that I have chosen with my life. And it reminds me what's important. 
Does this make sense to you? To think where life is going? I think one of the tools of the devil is to get to people not even to think about death. To pretend, hey, this is all there is. I think that's a lie. You see, I believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. That Jesus came and he died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would put their faith and trust in him. I believe that we were created by God, for God, and that sin separated us from the glory of God. And that Jesus came so that we could have a restored relationship with God and a promise of living for all eternity with him in heaven. And I believe that those who put their faith in Christ in this, this file, their spirit and soul went to be with Jesus. And someday, in ways that we can't fully comprehend, right? We don't understand how time works and eternity and all those things. We will live together forever with glorified bodies. Amen? And, and we're not gonna we're not gonna answer all your questions today about this, but my thing is, let's think about it. You see, we had a town hall meeting and we prayed and we talked about where the church wanted to go. Right? I want to say that the decisions that we make as a church should point at where our lives are going. What happens to a lot of people is they say, you Christians don't really believe what you say. Right? Because if you believe that there was really danger of living in eternity in pain apart from God, and also the opportunity to live for eternity with Christ in joy, wouldn't you want to share that with folks? Right? We're not talking about hellfire and brimstone and just scaring people. We're talking about pointing people to truth. Does this make sense? And so when we look at the things that we, that we do as a church, when we talk about trying to be more multicultural, that's because we want to see people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation turn to God and find their joy in worshiping Him. Right? We talk about dividing our junior high and senior high programs and look at bringing on someone to help us with that, an intern. That's because... Surveys have shown, they took a survey of about 1,500 folks who said they no longer believe what they learned about God in, in their churches. And when they surveyed that 1,500 people, they asked them, when did you start doubting, seriously doubting your faith? And it happened for 43% of them, the biggest percentage in junior high. Right? So these questions that we're asking, have you considered, we want to be real about, right? And we want to help our, our folks Think, reflect. I believe that my hope in heaven and my belief in Christ isn't just wishful thinking. I believe that there are reasonable and rational reasons to believe that there is hope past the grave. How about you? Do, do you ever sometimes just lose sight of what's important, right? Do we forget what we're doing? 
I really don't, people say sometimes, well, I don't really want to share because I don't really want to offend someone. Well, the truth of the matter is normally it's not that we don't want to offend somebody, it's that we don't want to be rejected by someone. Right? So yesterday, get the, let me give you a very practical illustration of where speaking up helps, even though the person might not want to hear it. Right? You've all had times when your spouse tried to help you drive. Is that true for many of you? Some ways and ways you didn't find helpful, right? Well, yesterday, my wife was very helpful. By God's grace, I've, I've never been in a major accident. I think you guys heard not too long ago here, I was sitting at a stop sign and somebody ran into the back of me. But yesterday, yesterday I could have been in an accident, and it would have been my fault. Because I didn't, I still don't know if I didn't see them or I, didn't, or I thought they were stopping. But I began to pull out. Now imagine if my wife said, hey, I didn't say anything. I knew, I knew that that car was there. But I just didn't want to offend you. I would say, hey, go ahead and speak. Right? In fact, after she... She spoke up, and I was able to avoid an accident by the grace of God. I said, thank you. We're not trying to cram anything down anybody's throat. We're, getting, we're trying to get people to honestly think about, what do you think is going to happen after you die? Why do you think that? I've made my reservations for heaven, and they're not based on my good deeds, but the finished work of Christ. Let's, if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, and in Scripture when they talk about brothers, they mean it in a generic sense, often, brothers and sisters. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the words I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. This is not a sermon where we're going to do what we're going to do when we get to Habakkuk, where we're going to go verse by verse through it. I just want to have you read this and see a very obvious truth here, 
that the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference in how we live our lives. When I ask people, what, what are you down about? What are you depressed about? What makes it hard for you to get out of bed in the morning? And they tell me things, and then I say, well, what do you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So often they think I've switched subjects. But you see, it's not a switch of subjects. Do you see that? If everything you're living for is here and now, then, then all your treasure, all your pleasures are where, where they can be destroyed. Where cancer can take everything away from you. Where, where thieves and robbers and thugs can take it away. Where even if none of those things touch it, old age will take it. But if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you believe we're aiming at something eternal, then this life, this life can have purpose and meaning. You can find joy in the journey because my treasure's not here and you can't touch it. And when I say my treasure's not here, I don't mean I don't experience now. You know what I mean, right? It's not easily grabbed away. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it. The other thing I want you to see is he's not just wishful thinking. He's saying, this is why I believe in the resurrection. These were eyewitnesses to it. And not only that, you should see how it's worked in my life. Make sense? Let's go to verse 35. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. Why, Why does he say you foolish person? Because I don't think it's a genuine question of seeking, you know, it's one of those, well, how will they be raised? You foolish person. You, you, we, we claim to, to know things we don't know, right? Is that true? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps, of wheat, of some other grain. But God gives us a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory for the sun and another glory for the moon and another glory for the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as if we were born an image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So what's he talking about? We inherited from Adam 
a sinful nature. We're, we have bodies that decay and wear out. The second Adam, Jesus, he breathes new life into us. Right? So in this body, where's that? We get a spiritual body. And it's a different one. Praise the Lord! You like that? I do. Because, you see, I've sat there watching these physical bodies give out Why families wept. So some of you have. Many of you have, right? And I'm glad that the heavenly body we get won't wear out. Right? Verse 50. I, I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in, what's the word? Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not, what's the word? There's a story told. What's powerful for me is how many times I've read that passage of Scripture at funerals, memorial services, committal services at the grave. And the hope that we have. Amen? I heard a story one time of a young boy riding in the back seat of his car. And he was deathly allergic to bee stings. And so he's very, very afraid of bees. And in through the window, as the car sat at a light or a stop sign, flew a bee. And the bee began to buzz around the car. the boy began to panic. And then the dad reached out and grabbed the bee. The story goes. Right? I don't know if the story happened or if it's just an illustration, but I love the illustration. There was a little jerk in the hand like this. And then the dad opened his hand and the bee began to fly around the car Again, and the boy began to cry. And the dad said, you don't have to have any fear. The stinger's right here. You don't have to have any fear. The stinger's right here. When death comes, we don't have to have any fear. The stinger was right there. Jesus took it to the cross. Amen? So why are we here? 
What motivates us to move forward? A risen Savior. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So when Satan whispers into your ear, give up on that person, stop. Stop. I mean, stop. You don't, you, you don't need to, to keep praying for them or looking for opportunities to share with them. And Satan whispers into our ear at the church and says, ah, quit it. Or when we get distracted fighting over things that don't matter. I, I want to say, you know, someday, someday, if the Lord doesn't return before, we're all going to die, right? We're all going to die. If we don't die, and we're still alive when He returns, then our bodies will be instantly changed. That's pretty cool, right? But will we be ready? And will our neighbors be ready? I think it's good to long for the return of our Lord. Amen? But only because we trust in His sovereignty and that He won't come before all that, the, all that are to come, come. Right? He's not slow, it's some count slowness. He doesn't want any to perish. And I think when he means any to perish, he doesn't, he's not waiting forever. He knows the number that are going to come in. True? So if we're still here, there's still work to do. There's still people to share with. Amen? That makes sense to us? We can't have the attitude, and, and excuse me when I say it this way, but please understand that, that I, I'm not being light with words. We can't simply say, I hope Jesus gets here soon. I'm going to bunker down to the, in the church and to hell with the rest of the world. We have to say, you've called me here. I, I remember there, there was no seminary class to help me when an elder of the church says, I'm dying of cancer and I want you to help me go through the dying process well. But I really thought about that. Isn't that what we're doing all the time? To live is Christ, to die is gain. We don't get to choose, and it's wrong to ever try to choose when we physically die, right? As far as we don't take our own life or those kind of things. We live out the days, right? I tell you, there are a lot of arguments that, that I have found really significant in my believing that God really is who he says he is. But one of the arguments, over and over again, are the, the saints. And scripture means by saint, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The saints that I've walked with through the last days of their life. And I know this isn't a game. It's not just some make-believe that there is a God, right? And I felt his presence in those hospital rooms as life slipped from this life to the next. Right? And I've seen the thing. Don't you want to share that with all your neighbors? We want lasting joy. It comes when we know that nothing 
can take our eternal joy away. It's indestructible because it's in Christ.